take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46. Actually, this, this is one of those places where our uh, chapter divider, uh, whoever put the first chapters uh, in our Bibles and verse dividers didn't help us much uh, because chapters 46 and 47 really go together in many ways. Um, this is the entire story of Jacob and his sons making their way from Hebron to Egypt uh, and ultimately what happens next. And in many ways we are coming to the, the denouement, the, the entire story of Judah and Jacob and indeed of, of Genesis as a whole. The, the climax was chapter 45 and Joseph's reveal and ultimately God's big reveal of his purposes in this entire story. Uh, what happens now, chapters 46 to 50, are the kind of the, is the tying up the loose, loose ends. Uh, we're going to see how it is Jacob's family gets to Egypt, then Jacob dies, and then finally Joseph dies, and we come to the end of Genesis. But in the midst of it all, what we're seeing is what I trust we've been seeing all along in Genesis, which is that the God who is the God of Genesis is a God of goodness and grace. He's a God of, of goodness and grace. And he shows that especially in the ways that he blesses his people, as we're going to see this morning. But in order to see this and hear this the way we ought, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do pray that you would come this morning. That you would take your word and you would use it in our hearts and lives. Lord, we confess there have been many times we have read this passage and we've got nothing out of it. It's not impacted us in any kind of way. Lord, may this not be that day. Lord, we pray for your spirit to come, to open our eyes of faith, so that we might see and hear the taste that you were good, that we might actually feast upon the word of the living God. And so know more about you, yes, but also know deeper about you, so that we might be in a deeper relationship with the God of the Bible. Lord, grant us this, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So for our scripture reading this morning, we're actually going to read the, the first seven verses of chapter 46. We'll move beyond the, the genealogy and pick up at chapter 46, verse 26, and then we'll read on to chapter 47, verse 12, recognizing that our text actually goes all the way to chapter 47, verse 26. So chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now verse 26. 
all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and all their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now for both we and our fathers in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, Put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are a hundred thirty years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. So far, God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was a while ago now, but I remember quite distinctly driving down the main streets of the town in which we lived and coming to a stoplight at a major intersection. And, and there at the stoplight, I noticed that the car in front of me, this shiny brand new Cadillac Escalade, had a Christian symbol on it. But the symbol that it had wasn't a, a fish, uh, nor was it a cross. Rather, the symbol that it had on it was in the back window, and it said, blessed. And as I was sitting there, looking at that, I started thinking and wondering, what did the person mean by putting blessed in the back window of his Escalade? Was he meaning to say that, that his material possessions were actually an evidence of the fact that, that they were blessed? Or 
were these folks meaning to express gratitude to God for the Cadillac life they had been given? Or, or were they meaning to testify that their hard work had gotten them this Escalade and, and many other toys beside? And yes, they were assisted by, assisted by a divine power, but really it was up to them. What did they mean? What did they mean by putting blessed in the back window of their Escalade? Well, for that matter, what do we mean? What do we mean when we use that word, when we say that we are blessed or that, that God has blessed us? Are we pointing to the fact that God has blessed us because we are so good? Or are we pointing to the fact that God has blessed us because he is so good? Are we somehow, when we use that word, meaning to say that God has blessed us because of our merits? Or are we meaning to say that God has blessed us despite our demerits? Why does God bless us? Well, I think this... This section in, in this first book of the Bible points us in the direction of an answer. Uh, we see here the way that God blesses unlikely people. I mean, when you think about it, there probably are, are fewer more unlikely people for God to bless than for, J for God to bless Jacob, Pharaoh, and indeed the entire nation of Egypt. And yet here it is in chapters 46 and 47. That's exactly what God does. Why? Why does God bless, and by extension, why then does God bless us? What I hope you'll see this morning is this. God blesses you, and he blesses others through you, because he is a gracious God who keeps his promises in the best way to bring himself the most glory. Did you get that? God blesses you and others through you, in such a way that, that he shows himself to be a gracious God who keeps his promises in the way that best brings him glory. I think that's what we're going to see this morning as we work our way through this section in Genesis. Notice first the way that God blesses Jacob, which is really what takes up the majority of chapter 46. When we left the story, the Joseph-Judah story, We've just heard Jacob say, all right, I believe it. My son is alive. I will go see him before he dies. And so he does. He, he gathers up all his children, all his possessions, and he begins to make his way from Hebron, which is where he's been settled. And when we get to chapter 46, verse 1, he's come to Beersheba, which is a city right on the edge of the promised land. Once he leaves Beersheba, he leaves the promised land and essentially makes his way into a territory controlled by Egypt. Now, every time before, when Jacob has left the promised land or re-entered the promised land, God has met him with a vision, with angels or a theophany. Chapter 28, chapter 31, chapter 35, each time God does this. Well, he does it again. You see it here in chapter 46, the way that God blesses Jacob with revelation concerning himself. Look at verse 2, chapter 46, verse 2. God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I, there I will make you into a great nation. 
I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand will close your eyes. Now, each time before, when Jacob is either leaving the promised land or returning to the promised land, and God shows up and reveals himself to Jacob, he reveals an aspect of his character, something that he wants Jacob to know and remember. For example, in Genesis 28, as, as Jacob is on the run, heading off to his uncle Laban, God appears to him, and he calls himself Yahweh, the self-existent one, the one who is I am that I am, the one who makes covenant with his people. He's the covenant maker. He's the covenant keeper. And so because God made covenant with Jacob there, he will surely bring him back to the land. In Genesis chapter 31, when, when Jacob returns to Palestine, God meets him again and he reveals himself to, to Jacob as El Bethel, as the God of Bethel, the God of the house of God, the one who rules in his temple. In Genesis chapter 35, after the, the scenes in Shechem, God, God reveals himself to Jacob once again. But this time it's as El Shaddai, as God Almighty, the God of power and authority. How does God reveal himself here? Did you see it? He says in verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Why is that important? Why is it that when God comes to bless Jacob at this moment with a revelation of who he is, he tells Jacob, I am the God of your father. Well, I, I think he's reminding Jacob that he's, he's the covenant God. And just as he has been Jacob's God, and just as he was Isaac's God, so he was Abraham's God. And God, who is the God of your fathers, will not forget his promises. Just as he's been with Abraham, so he's been with Isaac, so I will be with you, Jacob. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt. Don't be afraid to go down. I'm not some kind of territorial deity tied to Palestine. I'm going with you. I myself will go down with you. I myself will bring you up again. But in the midst of those promises, when God says, I am the God of your father, it's one particular promise that he makes. I will make you a great nation there. And I will surely bring you back again. I will make you a great nation. Sound familiar? That's right at the heart of the promises that God had made to Abraham so many years ago, back in Genesis ch chapter 12. What were those promises? Abraham, I'm going to give you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And those promises went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and God saying again, as he's going ready, is about ready to go to Egypt, I'm going to keep that promise. How do you know? I'm the God of your fathers. Just as I, was, as I was with Abraham and kept my promises to him, just as I was with your father Isaac and kept my promises to him, so I am your God and will keep you, my promises to you. Don't you see God's revelation governs Jacob's life in the midst of his fears, and perhaps in the midst of his worries about leaving the promised land as he's going to see his son Joseph. God draws near in blessing and reveals something about himself to encourage his heart. But friend, listen, God does the same thing for you today. He does the same. When God wants to bless you, 
He blesses you by, by revealing himself. And where does he do that? Right here in this book. We don't have to wait for the visions of the night. If we want to hear God's character and his promises and receive the blessing that he has for us, all we have to do is pick up the book. This is the revelation of God, the very word of God and the inspired and narrated infallible word of God. So that when God blesses us, we open this book and we say, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And he does. He shows us his character as a good and gracious God, the God of your fathers and your forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Jesus. He's your God. He's your God. And he will not abandon you. He will go down with you. And he will bring you home again. When God blesses, he blesses with revelation, just as he did with Jacob, but he also blesses as he blessed Jacob's relations. Remember when Jacob left Palestine back in Genesis chapter 28, how many was he? That's right, he was one. He was unmarried, no children, running for his life because he knew his brother Esau wanted to kill him. But how many is he now, all these years later? Well, we didn't read the genealogy, but we did read the summary at the end. And the summary at the end tells you in verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. So Jacob in chapter 28, one. Jacob in chapter 46, 70. Now that number 70 is important. Um, I actually think Moses is quite intentionally stylizing this to, to draw our attention to something important. There was another place in Genesis where there was a genealogy that numbered 70. That was back in Genesis chapter 10, the table of the nations. There you had 70 names and places and tribes listed representing the, the comprehensive, the complete picture of the world as descended from Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Here in chapter 46, you have a genealogy. And Moses writes that there were 70 in all who went down to Egypt. What does it mean? Well, it means that this is Israel completely. This is a, a complete picture of God's people as they make their way down to Egypt. Of course, one becomes 70. By the time the exodus occurs, how many is it? 600,000 men. Multiply that out. Between two to three million people will leave Egypt 400 years later. God keeps his promises. He kept his promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob about their relations. But, but there's coming a day 400 years hence when you won't be able to number Israel. Not completely. They'll be like the dust of the sea. The stars in the sky, just as God had promised. Here's blessing upon blessing for Jacob. Blessing in, in the revelation of God. Blessing in the relations that he has. Of course, the greatest blessing in this section is the blessing of reunion with his son Joseph. That's what you had in verse 28 to 30. In verse 29, chapter 46, verse 29, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die, 
since I have seen your face and I know who is still alive. Can you imagine that scene? 20 years since he had been sold into slavery, 20 years that Jacob had believed that he was dead, that he was lost. And now he sees him face to face. I, I get weepy when my kids come home from college. Can you imagine what kind of scene this is? When, when a father, a loving father, thinks that his child is dead and he's alive, lost but found. Sound familiar? Jesus himself will use these words in Luke chapter 15. As the prodigal son comes home, the wasteful wayward son comes home, what is it that the father says who is in the place of God? He says, let us have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. How did that lost son feel to know his father's love? How did it feel to be celebrated and feasted? Surely that's what Joseph felt. But friend, what was true of Joseph, one who was lost to his father, one who was dead to his father, but now found and alive, what was true of this prodigal son, one who was lost and dead to a loving father, was true of you as well. Whether you were a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, in the sight of God, before Christ found you, you were lost. And you were dead. But when you closed with Christ, as the Spirit drew you to himself, what did the Father say? Let's feast. Let's celebrate. Because you, my son, my daughter, you were lost. You were dead. But now you're found and you're alive. Oh, what joy that comes to us. What blessing comes to us. Because of our union and reunion with a loving Father in and through Jesus Christ by the Spirit. These are some of the blessings that Jacob knew. Friends, these are some of the blessings that we know. And yet God doesn't simply bless Jacob in this story, does he? No, he, he goes on to extend the blessing to, to even more unlikely characters. God moves on to bless Pharaoh. And he does so through Israel, but also by Israel. God blesses Pharaoh through Israel in a little bit of what feels like a serendipitous kind of way. Joseph is thrilled that his brothers and his father have come. He has a plan for them to end up in Goshen on the east side of the Nile River, far from the power centers of Egypt of the day. Also, some of the best pasture land for their flocks. Joseph wants to care for them. The plan is... Tell Pharaoh and his friends that you're shepherds. They can't stand shepherds. They want shepherds far away from them. And for once, Joseph's brothers listen. That They say this and, and Pharaoh responds just as they'd expect. But then Pharaoh goes one step further. Not just stay in Goshen, y'all. But he goes one step further. In chapter 47, verse 6, he says, Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Now, Pharaoh said this to bless Joseph and to bless his brothers because Pharaoh owned vast amounts of livestock. Uh, in fact, Ramses, a later Pharaoh, employed 3,200 men most of them foreigners, just to care for his, his sheep and his livestock. 
And so this is actually a form of patronage. Pharaoh is saying, look, you carry for my sheep. I'm going to do, do you a solid. I'm going to give you an extension here. You care for my sheep. You care for my livestock. But actually, this would actually be the Pharaoh's blessing. Because as God blesses his people in that, in that place of exile, as they seek the welfare of the city, as they seek to, to bless Pharaoh, when God blesses Israel, who else is going to be blessed? Pharaoh. His livestock will prosper. His sheep will prosper. Blessing will come to Pharaoh through Israel. But blessing comes to Pharaoh not just through Israel, but also by Israel. I think this is actually the center of the entire section. In chapter 47, verses 7 to 10, Jacob shows up, and the section, verse 7 and verse 10, bookend with Jacob blessing Pharaoh. It's the main thing Moses wants you to see. So chapter 47, verse 7, Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years, few and evil, have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the day of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And so Jacob blesses him. He prays for Pharaoh to prosper. He prays for Pharaoh to know blessing and welfare, to know shalom and wholeness when he enters his presence and when he leaves. Now, to, to the Egyptians, it had to have looked odd, right? This wandering Jew, to this, this shepherd coming in and blessing the most powerful man in the world. Shouldn't it be the other way around? But to those of us who have the eyes of faith, we recognize, no, this is actually the way it should be. God's patriarch, God's man, the one who is the steward of, of the promises of the covenant of grace, blessing Pharaoh so that, so that he might know the very blessing of God. What is this? But the fulfillment of what God had promised to Abraham. Remember, great name, great nation. Through you, all the peoples, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And here it is, through Abraham's grandson, blessing comes to the head of the Egyptians, signaling that God's purpose is ultimately for the nations, not just for Israel, not just for the Jews, it was always for the nations. God blesses Jacob, and God's blessing comes through Jacob to Pharaoh, but not just to Pharaoh. Ultimately, God intends to bless the Egyptians as a whole as well. I mean, that's ultimately what happens in the final scene. In chapter 47, verses 13 to 26, we didn't read this section, but if you read it, it, it replays a little bit of what we already know. God had shown Joseph what he was going to do. Joseph knew there was going to be seven years of famine. And so he stores up from the seven years of goodness with a flat tax. He takes 20% and he fills so that, so that when the famine comes, he's able to sell the grain. And ultimately, when people didn't have money to buy, he, he takes their cattle and their land. And they even offer their own persons as well. The whole scene might be a little exploitive, it seems. But, but that doesn't how it seem, it's not how it seems to the Egyptians. What is it that the Egyptians say? Look at chapter 47, verse 25. 
after Jacob says, at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones, they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. What's their testimony? Joseph, you have saved our lives. Now what does that echo? Back in chapter 45, what is it that that Joseph said to his brothers, it wasn't you sent me here, but God, that I might preserve your life, that I might save your lives, but not just for Abraham's descendants. No, God uses Joseph to save the lives of all of Egypt. He's blessed to be a blessing. He's blessed to serve so that they might know God's mercy. But God didn't just do that with, with Joseph and with Joseph's family. That's how God works through us. God makes us new people, not just for ourselves. God actually blesses us with his goodness and grace so that he might, for his own glory, send us out into his world to be a blessing to others. How do we do that? How do we live as a blessing for others? Well, certainly we evangelize. We bless others most by telling them the truth of Jesus Christ. But we also bless others as we live out our callings in a variety of ways so that it's not simply spiritual but tangible the ways we might bless others. It looks like tutoring someone through, through a GED program so that they might accomplish certain goals for caring for their family. Or it might look like providing a, a business where you're able to provide good work so that so that workers, that your employees might be able to care for their families. We know that God intends, and right in the creation mandate, for us to be workers in his world. When you, as a business owner, provide good work, you're actually blessing others. Just as God's blessed you, you're blessing others. When you actually work in the, in the public sector to improve a, a community's infrastructure, its physical infrastructure, as an architect and constructor, a builder, or whether in its social architecture, is social infrastructure, you're doing good work. You're actually blessing others as you have been blessed. God's using you just like Joseph so that others' lives might be physically saved. Of course, we know they need to hear about Jesus. But don't overlook the fact that God has blessed you to be a blessing. And in this way, he actually keeps his promises to his people and to his world. You see, God, God shows us this grace. He shows us this mercy so that we might see with new eyes and we might, having been blessed by him, might bless him in return. Because, friends, when God's blessed us, when we see, when we taste, when we know how good our God is, how he's been, he's, he's been Yahweh to us, the covenant maker, covenant keeper. He's been the God of Bethel, the God of this house. When he has been El Shaddai, God Almighty, when he's been the God of our fathers, rescuing us in Jesus Christ, we can't help to bless him. Even when our testimony may be that, that sad and difficult have been the days of our lives. I was reminded here over the last couple of weeks in thinking about this text and this service of a parishioner that I walked with in my last church as her mother passed away. Her mother passed away in her 90s. And Mary's mom had had a difficult life, born in the 20s, lived through the Great Depression as a teenager, 
had to work in order to contribute to the family income, of course, went through World War II, knew great difficulties as they moved from place to place in rural Mississippi. As she went through her days and saw her children married and grandchildren, her health was failing. She struggled with her health toward the end of her life to a great degree. And yet, Mary's testimony about her mother, as long as she could remember through her own 70 years of, of living with her mom, was that the keynote of her mom's life wasn't the difficulty. No, her favorite song was the old gospel chorus, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that's within me, bless his holy name. So much so that when she died on her tombstone, her name and her dates, but also Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. How can someone who's known such difficulty, such sadness, such pain, such struggle, still have that as the song of their heart and the testimony of their lives? Because they know. They know that God has been gracious to them. Because they know that God has kept his promises to them and has used them to bring him the most possible glory. And so the song of their heart and their life is to bless the Lord because he has blessed them. Is that true of you? When you come to your dying day, is that, is that what you want written on your tombstone? Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Because you have known how much God has blessed you. Is it? Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we do bless you and praise you, knowing that the greatest blessing of all has come through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we're going to sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, please, as we go from this place, may our hearts be filled with praise. And may we sing with the psalmist, indeed, with my friend's mom. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Grant us this grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.